0: so i think a big part of that how do you make an impact is starting with a posture of humility and say i can only do so much but if i can find other people who need what i have and can supplement what i don't have um and then then that's where i think that's the whole picture of the body of the even the body of christ right the body is is recognizing what we are and what we aren't and then coordinating efforts uh to 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 see uh, to see the the spirit move in ways that we that we never could expect if we were just acting as individuals or as individual companies.
1: Are you a follower of Jesus that feels called to expand the kingdom of God through building and growing successful businesses? If that's you, then welcome to the Kingdom Capitalist show that interviews amazing Christians using their business and money-making abilities to expand God's kingdom all over the globe. I'm your host Ellis Hammond and welcome to the show.
2: Hey, KC fam! before we get into the episode, I just want to remind you about the upcoming Kingdom Capitalist Summit on April 23rd and 24th. Uh, this is completely online, and we have been working um, incredibly hard to bring together an amazing roster of speakers, faith-driven business leaders specifically, to really help you create a vision around what it looks like to grow and build successful businesses for the glory of God. And so I am so, so pumped about Uh, who we have speaking, a lot of the previous guests on the show are going to be there and talking about their expertise, like Jordan Rainer, best-selling author, Vinnie Fisher, CEO of multiple eight-figure businesses, Ryan Smith, $500 million portfolio, but then even some new folks, um, Lillian Radke, she's the 2018 Female Small Business Owner of the Year. She's going to be speaking. We have, uh, I'm just going through the list, John Ruland, CEO of Giftology, Simon Lee, Wow, what a faithful brother in the Lord who's building a business, and he gives 50% of his profits away uh, to end human trafficking. He says he goes to work every day on a mission to make as much money as he can to give it away. Um, and so I just want to encourage you to, to go grab your ticket. We have some early bird pricing right now, and tickets will just be going up every week before the summit. So we want to incentivize you to, to, to go take that opportunity. So all you have to do is go to KCSummit2020.com. Grab your ticket. Start interacting in the Facebook page. Getting to know the other members or the other attendees who are going to be joining with us. And we'll see you April twenty third and twenty fourth.
1: Welcome everybody to the Kingdom Capitalist Show. This is going to be a, such a unique episode. I'm so pumped to to share the story of our guest today. Uh, and I'm gonna. I don't want to spoil it, but uh, he is a Harvard grad. He um, is also a founder of Monday Night Brewing, and so I think he's probably our first beer guy on the show, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, But actually, his story is that the what he's building, which is one of the largest craft breweries in Atlanta, Georgia, actually got started in a Bible study uh, with a with a group of friends. And so, really excited to kind of share that story and how, and not just cool, we started a brewery, but actually building one of the largest craft breweries in Atlanta and just some really helpful things for us in our community about growing and building our business. So uh, without further ado, welcome everybody to the show, Jeff Heck.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. Dude, what's up, man? Super excited to be here.
1: Um, so if anybody is not on YouTube watching this and they won't, they won't know, and I'm gonna, I hope I don't, you don't mind me sharing this, but you're drinking one of your brews right now, right?
0: I am indeed. I am indeed, yes. What is this that? Is, this is everything now. This is one of our latest releases from our, what we call our Hop Hut. So these are beers that we make just for releasing our tap rooms. Um, we, we canned some of it and sold out in 24 hours. Wow. Um, we still have a little left on draft and I'm making sure that uh, that I take advantage of the, <laughs> the lovely Hazy Boy before it uh, it gets all, we sell it all. So
1: just for our beer listeners, or maybe those who aren't beer listeners, what makes it a Hazy?
0: Yeah, so um, this is a New England style IPA um, and they're sort of commonly referred to by the beer geeks as, as Hazy Boys. Um because they uh, they have uh, additional protein um, protein malts in them. so the protein malts leave behind this uh, kind of stable haze in the beer. So it looks almost like juice. Um, it's kind of got a and it smells yeah. like it as well. so it's kind of got an orange yellow kind of color to it, and they're uh, they're really fruity and aromatic, and they're also crazy expensive to make, um, which is why we can't sell it um, in wholesale. We have to sell it just in our taproom because
2: oh, um, not
0: great margins, but uh, but they're beers that people love and that I'm personally a fan of. So
1: what i'm um, i'm curious because i'm in san diego you know so like the beer scene is crazy ipas are massive in that atlanta market is is it taking a while for ipas to kind of begin to i don't know grow or is it is it pretty much hot right now as far as that the scene ipas goes?
0: india pale ale for those uh for those non-beer folks out there um ipas are have, have been a, a an important like a big part of the the market really around the country in the craft beer scene for the last 10 or 15 years um but a lot of the styles within sub subcategories of IPAs have changed and they have kind of different levels of um, popularity kind of depending on where you are in the country Um, so uh, New England IPA started about five years ago up in up in New England as the name would cue you into Um, but uh, but they've really kind of taken off more broadly around the country but I'd say we're maybe a little behind the curve in Atlanta so uh, it's been a big focus of ours to try to bring like some of that um, world-class IPA New England IPAs down to the, to our market.
1: Yeah. Well, I, was, I told you, before, I wish we were in person so that we could be enjoying one of those together, but that's uh, all right. One of man. these days, <laughs> one of these days. So uh, well, I'm so pumped to get into your story. It's just so powerful from, you know, graduating from Harvard and then going into um, working for a private equity firm and building that to, to what it was and then to launching, you know, your own brewery. So there's so much there I'm, I'm ready to unpack, man, but let me just pray for us and then we'll get in. Absolutely. Into Let's do it. Yeah. We, we give you so much. Thanks uh, just for your good gifts for, uh, this episode, and for time to um, to really hear more about Jeff's story, for for gifts like beer uh, that we can enjoy as well. And uh, I just pray that this episode would be a blessing to our audience, and we would get to to learn from uh, Jeff Jeff's life, but also uh, just the way he's he's building businesses and even is planning a business inside of this community that's really serving those around him. Um, and so we give you thanks, pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Amen, dude.
1: So, so let's start, man. From from, uh, let's start with Harvard, anyways. What? Why did you choose to go to Harvard? Um, now, you know, now you're starting your brewery. What was what was attractive about going to Harvard? What was your What was your goal there?
0: Yeah, I uh, I had no I, no expectation of getting in, so um, I wasn't even thinking about it until my guidance counselor in high school kind of said, "Hey, you should apply to some of these schools like that." And I was like, "Well, okay, sure, why not?" Um, and then once I got in, uh, just sort of uh, visited some friends up there uh, who I had known and uh, was, was just overwhelmed, not just with the, the, the campus and, and the reputation. What really got for me was the, was the people, like there were mm-hmm. so many incredibly bright, thoughtful other students. And so for me, that's what the, the real draw was, was, the, I mean, what a, what a privilege, what, a chance, what an opportunity to be in a place like that, surrounded by people that are, uh, smart, smarter than you. <laughs> right. So I think um, actually, and I think that that uh, that concept has carried me through a long way in my career. Is like uh, I'm, I, I think I've learned to uh, not just to not be intimidated by people who are smarter and more capable than me, but to seek them out because that's the mm. place where I feel like over the course of my life, I've learned the most is from people who are more experienced, um, uh, and and bring something to the table that I don't.
1: Yeah, no, that's huge. I'm curious about Harvard just because I never went to Harvard yeah. was. Uh, do you think the power in Harvard is in the education or do you think it's in the network?
0: Um, I think it's, I think it's both. I think it's Brilliant. a combination of both. Yeah. I mean, for, for, uh, for me personally, um, you know, moving to Atlanta after graduation, I don't really have a network um, from, I, I don't feel like my network that I built there um, has necessarily been um, hugely like I've never used a Harvard connection to get a job or raise money or anything like that. Um, but I have learned a lot from people and some of my closest friends over the years have been friendships I've developed there. So I feel like what, what ha- being around a group of people that were so thoughtful about the way that they engaged in the world and in learning um, alongside being taught by professors and um, graduate students and people who were you know, kind of the best in their field, just kind of raised my raised the bar for me of of what um, an education looked like, about what rigor looked like, um, and uh, and I think that was that the combination of those two things was really powerful for me
1: personally. Yeah. Was your faith pretty uh, like a, a center of your life when you were th- yeah? It was years.
0: It was. I I, um, I came to faith at a young age. I uh, grew up in a in a in a in a believing family that gave me a wonderful foundation in in the faith, and um, but it was also really formative because it um, it gave me the chance at that point you know, out on my own, um, you you have to really make it your own in a new way. So uh, I added, uh, you know, the the other thing about going to a place like Harvard is, you know, I never felt like it was antagonistic, uh, that other people, individual people weren't necessarily antagonistic to faith. Um, But there wasn't any social value from being a Christian, right? Right. It's not like the South um, where, you know, there's something almost uh, uh, necessary and helpful socially about being a, being a, a Christian
1: yeah no interesting i mean, I guess I've just always heard of Harvard being a tough place spiritually a little- i mean a little bit just because it's such a a driven and focused environment where
0: yeah yeah I, I i think i think that's absolutely true um i think that though um uh, my sort of my perspective has been that there's a, there are ways in which other environments that maybe are a little bit more um, uh, explicitly open to faith uh can sometimes have more kind of subtle and nefarious kind of um idolatry or ways of thinking mm-hmm. about the world, um, that, uh, that are just as dangerous and sometimes because even more so because they're sort of couched in the context of, of faith, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to a place like Harvard where, you know, again, um, you're, there's maybe a little bit more explicit, um, not opposition, but difference there. And so, um, so that allowed it to be, you know, pretty quickly become an increasingly important part of, of what my life and the way I framed, framed up my world and mm-hmm. relationships were
1: yeah so let's get into that man so you you're you kind of graduate from harvard what was your degree in psychology okay interesting yeah, yeah. so you you graduated a degree in psychology but then you go into a private equity firm Was that your next step right
0: actually my first job was out of school was at home de- at the home depot oh that's right yeah, yeah yeah so yeah. yeah like yeah let's walk through it man i can't wait to yeah. hear, hear more about it Harvard guy ends up at the home depot in atlanta <laughs> um Yeah, it was a rotational program that allowed me to do a number of uh, rotate through different departments for about two years. Um, When I graduated, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I was kind of a mess. Um, Actually, there were a bunch of things I wanted to do with my life. So I was trying to decide whether I wanted to go to medical school, take my band on the road, go to seminary, or do like something in business. So I was a terrible interviewer because I had no idea what I wanted to do. (laughs) And, uh, and so I I applied um, my first lesson in Well, one of my many lessons in failure was uh, I applied to a hundred jobs and I, and I got one job offer and that was at the home. And I had a good GPA and had, you know, Harvard education and I got one job offer and that was to work at the the Home Depot's corporate office in Atlanta. So, I mean, it was really providential. I feel like uh, very clearly the Lord's hand was in it. I did uh, four, I was there for about four years, three and a half, four years. In the last uh, two years I was working in mergers and acquisitions. um, And I really loved that because it was this really interesting combination of uh, kind of the analytical side of the business, valuing a company, investigating and doing due diligence on a company, and then also kind of the people side and strategic side, which is, do we like the people who are running the business? Is the market the right one? Um, what risks are there to the, to the business? Is it a good use of our capital? And all those kinds of questions coming together, I really, really loved, the, loved that. So it was about four years after that that I went and um, uh, joined the private equity firm here in Atlanta.
1: Mergers and acquisitions with Home Depot is that what you? Correct. Yeah, I'm yeah. curious. What are they? What are they acquiring? What does Home Depot acquire?
0: Yeah. So at the time, they um, they had a, a business called Home Depot Supply, uh, which is now a separately separately traded a public trade publicly traded company called HD Supply. Hmm. Um, so it was uh, a group of businesses that uh, provided uh, services and products to contractors. So. There was a uh, electrical supply company and a plumbing supply company, um, uh, supplying com- things to home builders. Uh, so it was a separate kind of business, and so there was a lot of, uh, of acquisition activity um, in that in that sector of the business. And then exactly. they spun it out. So yeah, then I left.
1: That that may, I mean, we do a lot of HD Supply stuff. I didn't know that was Home yeah. Depot. So that's uh, that's really that's interesting to hear. So then you get into the private equity world. I'm really curious about this because you you had a lot of success early on inside of this private equity company, correct?
0: Yeah. I mean, I was, I joined the firm, um, when it was, uh, probably about six or seven, six years old. Um, there's about 15 people on the team at the time. Um, they were investing out of a $500 million fund. Um, and they had just raised a, about a billion dollars. And so they needed to just add to the team. And so I like, what I like to tell people is they were looking for like people that, that had a pulse and knew their way around Excel. Um, <laughs> so I fit the bill. Uh, and then so I had the chance to join pretty early on in the company. And at this point, I think You know they manage over ten billion dollars and are really the largest private equity firm in the southeast. So I was just fortunate to be involved with the firm at a time when it was uh, was growing rapidly, and uh, and got the chance to be part of some really neat, really neat, uh, neat business businesses and acquiring really interesting companies.
1: Yeah, well, I know, like in our kind of in our pre-call, we were just talking about the you know the valuable lessons you learned from from watching a company growing that fast to. Kind of how that applies to what you're doing now with Monday uh, Monday Night Brewing, right? I want to make sure I'm yeah, saying that right. Yeah, yeah Monday yeah. Night Brewing. I mean, let's talk about that time being there. Uh, I'm really curious, kind of what you learned both from a business standpoint, but maybe also as a you know from a kingdom kind of a kingdom guy standpoint too. Just yeah. the things that were really that were really valuable during that period.
0: Yeah, I mean the the the, the uh, from a from a learning the business business standpoint, um, you know, I got to have the chance. So the you know the, my role in the private equity firm was really uh, several fold. One was kind of helping to evaluate companies we were potentially interested in acquiring or investing a significant stake into. Um, and then the second part was like, if we decided we we're going to do it to sort of execute that transaction, due diligence, negotiating contracts, um, what are we going to pay for it? Um, and then what's the strategy going forward? And then after we bought it, it was... How do we help and support these companies to really grow their businesses, um, and uh, and come alongside the the founders or leaders uh, boards to to help uh, grow the business, and then eventually to sell to sell them. So I was involved with all those different stages of the process. So and looked at you know hundreds of different companies over the t- course of my time there, and uh, so that was it was it was a really amazing chance to see all kinds of different businesses, all kinds of different leaders, uh, see the things that worked, see the things that didn't, um, uh, understand that you know, there's no such thing as kind of a cookie cutter model for a successful business that it depends on the industry and on the people and on the market. And, um, so I learned, I mean, just an absolute ton, uh, there. And then, you know, I think the other the, from a, I guess I would say that is a, sort of a kingdom perspective in the sense that I, I was learning more about how the world and, and, uh, that God has created kind of is built. But I, but I think, um, you know, I, I, uh, I think the thing that I really so appreciated about how um, we invested there <clears throat> is that a lot of private equity firms invest with the idea that we're going to you know, put a bunch of debt on the company, um, try to flip it as quickly as possible, put some lipstick on the pig, make it look better than it is, and then try to get out as quickly as possible. And the approach that we took was, um, was much different, which was really let's invest in this company for a long period of time. And, uh, and act which requires actually growing a business in a sustainable way, which means you, sometimes you actually say, we're gonna be less profitable this year because we're gonna invest in things that are best for the long run. Right. Um, and we wanna build a business that's sustainable. So we talk a lot at Monday night about just the importance of, um, you know, if we wanna be in a position where we can provide for our employees and have a good culture and have a business that people can feel good and proud of coming, and call, coming to work every day and calling their own, we have to do it in a way that's um, that's that's sustainable financially. So, uh, so a lot of uh, I think a lot of that has has informed how I think about building building our company. Um, you know, at the same time, you see a lot of times where uh, folks that uh, that that have built businesses and they've kind of tried to take shortcuts and um uh and and get and get greedy. And so sort there's of this balance of like you have to be savvy and thoughtful about where you invest invest your time and money as a company, um, but you also can't um, can't view the bottom line as the only sort of uh, sign of whether or not you have a good and healthy business right
1: yeah no 100 percent. well so so then that gets us kind of into this next phase man which i'm really kind of pumped to hear about just is the story of monday night brewing and where i yeah. think a lot of our content is going to come from today just of kind of the what you've built there and kind of your business your your systems and and even your culture and this community that you've built around yeah. your, your business i'm really really excited to hear more about this and so Dude, where do we start with Monday Night Ruin, man? Like, where do, oh, we, where do we go?
0: <laughs> we start, in a, we start in, a, in a cramped living room on, on, on Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Okay. Uh, with, with a group of about... Was there,
1: was there IPAs
0: there as well? Or? <laughs> Not at 6 a.m., no, okay. sir. A good dose of coffee. Got it. Um, and a couple of heads nodding off from time to time. Um, yeah, I mean, we started, uh, we started uh, this, this small group Bible study that met on Friday mornings at 6 a.m., about 10 or 12 guys. Uh, a bunch of us didn't know each other very well, so we were looking for a way just to get to know each other better and decided that uh, brewing beer on a Monday night would be a good way to do that. So uh, one of our wives had given us a homebrew kit, so pulled it out, fired up a turkey fryer in the back porch, uh, and had a great time. And we did it again the next week and the week after that, and uh, the first batch of beer tasted directionally like beer, but that's about all we could say for it. <laughs> and we got better over time, and eventually we started... Bring more beer than a Bible study and good conscience could consume by itself. So we started inviting friends, neighbors, coworkers, and, uh, and, and eventually we got to the place where really 30 to 50 people would show up at my house every Monday night, cars would line the street and, uh, and we, we would brew. Um, but what we really loved about what was happening on Monday nights was about was the, the way in which people were building relationships with each other. Yeah. So we had, uh, we had around the same time, uh, the three of us had helped to uh, start a church, plant a church, Uh, And it actually moved to the neighborhood where we are on the west side of Atlanta uh, to help plant the church. And the vision of the church is really uh, still, um, still uh, continue. Joel and I continue to be really involved and Jonathan's at another local church um, right around the corner. Uh, But the real vision was how do we uh, in a city that's as fragmented as Atlanta, where so many people live in one place and their kids go to school in another place and they work in another place and they go to church down here. Like how do we, sort of commit to like our lives being centered in a, in a small place, in a, in, a, in a place where we can sink deep roots and our world gets bigger because our world gets smaller. And so this was a, a chance for us to a lot of our folks from our church would come by. We like to say that uh, our pastor used to say that the two things we do at, at Atlanta Westside, which is our church um, is uh, we have Monday night or uh, Sunday night prayer and Monday night brewing. Those were kind of the two activities that we did as a, as a, as a church.
1: Oh man, that's that is an incredible launch. Like I love there that you guys just, this was something that, that birthed out of community, really, right? It birthed out of a passion. Uh, and then I mean, when you say like the block started showing up, you guys just started inviting people or what was the and yeah. was it ever like when you were doing that, was it we're gonna monetize this or we just wanna share this? Or what what were you what was happening there?
0: Yeah, we we didn't. There was no, <clears throat> there was no payment for anything. People would just come by. Um, we pretty early on kind of started to this idea. Probably after four or five months, um, one of my partners looked looked at us and said, uh, when we were like washing you know equipment after the end of the night, <clears throat> said, you know, this could really turn into something. Like, what if we put together a business plan and just started thinking about a vision for this big longer term and potentially even start a, our own brewery. And uh, so that happened a few months in, and then we ended up brewing in the backyard for about four years. And so when that started, he started writing a blog and kind of chronicling our journey from mm. backyard homebrewers to, uh, to brewery. And it's still out there on our website. If you want to go back and look at some of the posts, They're, some of them are hilarious. Jonathan, for example, used to every month uh, do his uh, bachelor of the month. And uh, <laughs> because he was the only one that was unmarried, every month it was him. Uh, <laughs> So uh that's we had great. a lot of fun and 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 we ended up having um we actually the blog that took got a fair a fairly decent following and we had uh we had people that would even if they were traveling in from out of town on a few occasions people that would read our blog i remember one guy from Arizona showed up in my backyard one night um no way. who just followed our blog from Arizona he was in town for work so that's
1: so crazy man so, so crazy. what gave you guys the confidence to hey like we have a you know we're going to actually turn this into i mean but because there's a lot going on here, you guys were starting a church as well, yes.
0: right? So we're helping plant this church. We'd kind of moved in the neighborhood. We were looking for ways to build community. Brewing was one of those things. Um, I was starting my job at a private equity firm and working sometimes, you know, eighty or a hundred hours a week. Yeah, we were all, you know, there was we were starting families, so there was a lot going on in that season. And so we kind of took the, we liked what we were doing professionally. We enjoyed our work, and so we kind of took the approach of like, hey, let's not try to force this we're not running away from what are what we're doing already but this is serving a neat uh, purpose today um, but at the same time you know we started dreaming and so we started kind of dreaming open-handedly but actively dreaming so a few of the things that were really compelling and why we started thinking about this as something bigger one was that the three of us just had really complementary skill sets and, and still we function as just a really effective team in part because we have a deep appreciation for what each other are really good at so my background was more like in private in private equity was like finance and strategy. I love like building organizations and growth. Um, my partner Jonathan was a marketing consultant, so he's brilliant with branding and design and marketing. And then my partner Joel is uh, was background is more in kind of an operational and execution. So if you want something done and it seems impossible, just Joel put Joel on it and he'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah. And so we looked at each other and said none of us could start this on our own between the three of us, I think we probably could, uh, you know, we got a real, relatively good chance of making something, making something work. And we took it slow. It was about four years. Over the course of those four years, we had uh, almost, we figured that we did the math. It was probably about 2000 people came through my house over the course of those years. But uh, so when we actually launched the brand, uh, there were all these people out there who had been to my house uh, who were incredible advocates for the brand because they felt deeply and they felt they right. were deeply connected to what we were really trying, really about.
1: Yeah. So. They were part of it. They there was a yeah. level of ownership because and we were just talking about this on another episode. You had built a community already, a community yeah, yeah. around a product. It was there?
0: Yeah, right, right. And and actually, the product wasn't even the point. Um, in some mm. ways, like we've talked about that since the beginning too. Is like how do we make sure that the product is in service of the vision and the purpose? So um, it's not an ex, it's not it's not a marketing tagline. So we are, we have a so we have a purpose statement, which is that we exist to deepen relationships over some of the best beer in the country. And so the, the over the best beer in the country part is really in service of the why do we exist, which is to deepen relationships. So in everything that we do, whether it's with our employees, whether it's our customers, um, our guests in our tap room, our wholesalers, our retailers, our vendors, we wanna, we wanna be building genuine, authentic relationships where we treat people as human beings and uh, the beer is, should be in service of that, of that goal.
1: Wow. I love that vision, man, because it's a much bigger purpose than to make good beer. But right. if you don't make, if you're not excellent at your craft, yes. then you really can't accomplish your mission either. That's right. Who wants to go to a brew with bad beer? You know, right. I know. Right. I mean,
0: I don't, you know. Deepen relationships over some, you know, fairly mediocre beer. Yeah, <laughs> that's less a, yeah. Compelling. <laughs>
1: um Wow, I, I think that's incredibly powerful, man. There's, uh mm. Um, product isn't the point. That's really good. So, a couple. I got a, a kind of a a side question here. Yeah. Atlanta, middle of the Bible Belt. Uh, you're a church planner. You're in the middle of a church here, and you're also own a brewery or you're running a brewery. Was there any? I don't know. Um, what were the headwinds that you faced to help people kind of understand the vision of? No, you know, like you're doing something really redeemable here and and creating this
0: brewery. Was Was there any pushback yeah. or anything like that? Well, step one is be a Presbyterian. Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a fair question. And, and I think, um, you know, we, uh, Atlanta is just a very kind of cosmopolitan city with people from all over. So I would say that, um, and we're, we're right in the city. We're not like out in the suburbs. We're we're really in the inside the city. Yeah. And so here there's a lot, there's a lot less, um, there's a lot less uh, kind of issues with alcohol and, and, and drinking. But I think if anything, we, uh, we wanted to try to figure out a way how to kind of hold it up as something that's to be enjoyed in a good and healthy way. So actually, I think for us in Atlanta, it was almost, almost the opposite. Like, hey, how do we put, do we put this forward? Is like, we're not the place we want people to come to just chug as many beers as they can. We wanna be the place for people to come to really savor and enjoy excellent product and the, over some great conversation with yeah. good people. So, um, but yeah, you know, certainly uh, they're, they're, you know, we, my wife and I both grew up in the Midwest and we, I think all three of us have, um, have lots of close friends and family that, you know, aren't crazy about, aren't crazy about alcohol. So yeah. I think it's really just been trying to be respectful and thoughtful about, uh, about them, about that. And, um, and just, you know, being faithful to uh, to the Lord and to one another and to our community too, to make sure we're doing, doing things in the right way. Sure.
1: Sure. So what, so when did, when did it become like, Hey, we're going to actually make, make this our full-time thing, you know, what, what for you specifically, when did you decide and what was the turning point for you to yeah, transition so out of the, the private equity firm?
0: We launched the business in 2011 and for the first about six months or first, first year and a half, really, we were just contract brewing. So we, were, we had another brewery that made our beer for us and then we sold it in the market in Atlanta. Um, after about six months, we ran out of capacity there and we, we really realized we needed to build our own facility and take our production in-house. Uh, so we started raising money, looking for a space my, my partner, Jonathan, joined. He, he quit his full-time job before we actually started in 2011. And then Joel quit his job in 2012 as we were building out um, our space and raising money. And then really, frankly, the business needed to grow before we could support another person. We were still in a very much the startup phase. and We're like, I don't even know if this is going to work. Right. Um, so, And then and also, like I didn't, there wasn't really, frankly, enough for me to do. Um, and then I joined in 2016. So I finally... Quit my job in um, in mid, middle of middle of 2016. so almost three and a half years ago. I was involved with the business still. I was you know helped with hiring and um, kind of big decisions and stuff, and would come by a lot. Um, but uh, but really for me, it, it was uh, it was first and foremost a conversation amongst the three of us to say like, hey, when when does the business actually need me on full time? When can the business actually afford to have me off full time on full time? Um and then there was also a part of me that um it was beginning to feel like in my private equity role, um I, I so enjoyed interacting and seeing entrepreneurs who had built businesses, who had grown great cultures, and I thought like I will be I would be kick I would kick myself if 10 years from now I didn't take the risk and try to do that myself. I just felt this draw to be involved in shaping a culture, in applying all the things that I would learned from these really amazing leaders and and figure out how to and put that to work in my own in my own business yeah uh
1: man you you i'm so pumped to be able to talk to you this quickly on this though what did it take early on because i think you know a lot of um entrepreneurs on the show are in that phase one of kind of zero to one million it really is all about sales right kind of in that stage i mean what did you guys have to do there in the atlanta market to drive sales so that you could bring on more staff and really make this an official, you know, legit company. We're not just brewing in the backyard, but we're actually selling product.
0: Yeah, I I do think kind of going back to one of the early things that that we were talking about, like having 2000 people come through my house and having this sort of organic, slow commitment to what what we were about Mm -hmm. was hugely helpful. Mm -hmm. The first six months that we opened our our own uh, tap room, I would give tours of the brewery and I would ask people on the tour, how many of you have been to my house? and like half the people would raise their hands. These were people that just felt deeply connected to what we were doing. And because they, because they knew us, they knew what our, our intention was behind this. And so um, I think for us, it, it didn't start the moment we opened the business. It started well before that, when we were building the brand, when we were providing this experience for people. And so our purpose of kind of deepening relationships over some of the best beer in the country had roots back to the things that people really believed that were true because they were. Um, So it really started earlier than that. Um, And then, and then it was like getting just being scrappy. I mean, those early days as an entrepreneur. Everybody's a salesperson. Everybody chips in when something breaks, everybody gets the call in the middle of the night and you just have to be ready to, um, get your get your hands dirty, and shed a little blood, and um, and take some and take some rest. Yeah. Um, so you know, I would go. I remember, I would take. Uh, you know, there was a rest. There were a couple of restaurants around my uh, my office in in, uh, in in Midtown Atlanta, and I would take samples. On like, I would take like thirty minutes for lunch, and instead of eating lunch, I would go to like four restaurants and be like, "Hey, you should try this beer." <laughs> I'm, I'm, I work right across the street, um, so kind of everybody had had to just pitch in and, and say like, how, we're just going to, it's easy for, especially as somebody who's, who kind of spent so much of my life behind spreadsheets and making plans. Like I'm a planner and I want to make sure that we're thinking through all the risks. Um, it, it was really important in those early days to be like, none of these plans matter if we're just not out selling, not out, just get, getting after it. Um, so I, I think the other thing I'd say for us personally, as part of our story is we needed each other. I would mm. never have started a business without, two partners um so it it, and if i had it wouldn't it wouldn't have been successful so finding those people who admitting to myself what i'm not good at and affirming in my partners like what they are good at and then us collectively saying and where do we still need more help uh that was that's been an incredibly important part of i think our success over the years yeah
1: no i love that man well so There's three things I really want to talk deeply about on this call because of kind of who you are in light of this story is is one of the community that you have built there and even kind of how our faith as Christians and building kind of this environment of community to welcome people in. I want to talk about that and how you're doing that strategically, but also I know you're the strategic thinker guy and I want to talk about business development, right? Um, And then, well, I guess those are kind of the two. So where would you how do we start, or what do you think we should start in and kind of? Man, tell those the story. both
0: those both those both sound super fun. I,
1: I know, right? That's why I can't yeah, wait. That's why I'm so excited yeah, to, yeah. to talk about about those things because you know we're doing similar. We're building a community, but I'm also trying to grow this business. So
0: yeah, I'm yeah, just excited yeah. to chat. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe uh, maybe let's uh, let's let maybe let's start on the on the community side because I think okay. that's for us where it's really all had its had its roots
1: yeah okay so your so your tagline is uh we exist in deeper relationships over the best beer in the country it started in your backyard how do you keep that feel i mean what do you like let's 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 talk exactly about this idea yeah bigger so, picture of this
0: yeah absolutely that's a great question and actually we, when we i remember standing in our in, in our empty in an empty warehouse that we that is now our tap room early on and we were terrified of like how do we preserve that special feel where we were welcoming people into my home um, in a industrial warehouse at the at a uh, you know in in Atlanta, and so uh, we I think the first thing we did was just admit that it was going to be hard, and that we really wanted to do it. Um, so I think having that structure to say this is important to us, and we're going to try and, and we and we want we want this to be a place where community really happens. So uh, a few things that that that. that that were important for us in our particular business, because for us, we have two parts of our business. We have our wholesale business where we manufacture beer and then we sell it to distributors who, um, who then sell to retail stores, grocery stores, restaurants, liquor stores. And then we have our tap room business where people come in and they can, we have a bar, basically a beer bar where we sell our own beer to people who are in our, in our space. Um, so I think there's, in terms of building community, there's the first place that we have the most direct impact is our retail spaces, our tap rooms we have two tap rooms in the city of Atlanta. And so we did some very, even when we were thinking about design, um, my, my, uh, my partner Jonathan was, was wonderful in thinking through, Hey, let's do some things that force people who don't know each other to sit together. So instead of doing individual tables, we bought long picnic tables and set them up so that we would kind of force strangers to connect with each other. Mm. Um, the other thing we did was we basically hired people that, uh, we, that lived in the neighborhood who we knew cared deeply about the neighborhood and who would be ambassadors, not just for our beer, but for our vision. And, um, and that was incredibly important because what we realized is when we open our own business and we're hiring other people, uh, we, can't, we're no, we no longer become the sort of standard bearers of the culture. We are the standard bearers, but we're not the frontline people actually communicating that to folks. So um, a big part of our em- emphasis with our staff has always been uh, telling our story to them so that they can understand what it is we're really trying to communicate and, and, and build for people um and then uh and how do you I can, think, I, can, I, can I ask yeah. a question on that real quick yeah. how do you that's really good I mean
1: you you are no longer on the front lines right as you grow your business so you have to essentially train or delegate kind of the storytelling to not lose that to how did you go about doing that because I think that could be a really practical advice for our listeners
0: yeah. Um, well, the first thing I think was, is, is really important is just hiring people that, um, that believe in, in your same kind of value. So we have our vision, but we also have um, our core values. So we spend a ton of time in our interview process hiring for around values. And you can pretty much tell with people when you sort of talk about the importance of our purpose, whether that's compelling to them or not. And so we, and we spend a lot of time doing that. Another thing we do in our interview process is actually we try to talk people out of the job um, because uh, which actually was a, a, a kind of a, a, a tip we got or a, a kind of a, a learning we took from uh, Chick-fil-A here in Atlanta. Um, they very proactively try to convince you like, hey, this is, a, this is a very particular place to work. And if you want to be successful here, here's what, here's what it's really going to look like. And, uh, and so we talk a lot about, um, you know, our culture as being a place where, you know, how you, not just how you treat other people and like being nice, um, but internally, we place a really high value, for example, on being really open and direct and honest. Um, And so uh, we don't want to be a place where politics get played. We don't want to be a place where, um, you know, we want to be the kind of place where people can bring their authentic selves and actually engage and argue for the best ideas, and, um, and then be willing to come along because we have a similar shared common vision right so we spent a lot of time on on our interviewing process mm-hmm. and then on in terms of like our onboarding and hiring and training you know early we hired a lot of people who had actually been there with us in the backyard and so those people were telling the story yeah uh, now it's a little bit as we gotten bigger it's become a little harder I mean, you have to start doing more structured ways of communicating that but early on I mean we had a lot of bartenders who had been the very people that were welcoming people in our backyard <laughs> um, so but I tell people one of the stories I tell and our bartender kind of training, is that when, when people would come for the first time to my house, they would walk down the driveway, which was kind of up against the side of the house, and you have to kind of go around the back of the house to, uh, uh, to see where we were actually brewing. So people would kind of peek their head around the corner, like, am I in the, am I in the right place? Like, this is all kind of weird. Um, and I'm not sure I belong here. And I, and I said, our job is always to say, hey, yes, you're in the right place. You belong here. This is, a, this is the right place. So I think just telling actual real stories that you believe in that aren't some marketing thing you've cooked up, some internal communication thing that you've, you know, there's certainly some thoughtfulness and strategy and playing need to go around that, but it starts with you actually believing yourself. Um, and I think that's a mistake that sometimes folks make about thinking about culture is, uh, is that it's kind of internal marketing and, I don't know. I, I I bristle against that so much because it's got to be rooted in something you have deep conviction about personally. Um or else any other tactic just isn't helpful. Uh, it'll undermine it'll undermine what you're what you're saying.
2: Yeah.
1: No, i mean, I totally agree.
0: I think that's so right
1: on. I mean, and clearly there's a uh there's a fruit to that is right because then it because then it gets passed on and you can uh you can multiply that into yeah. others. Right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah.
1: So, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. So, you were kind no. of walking us through this, this idea of building a community around your business. And so, it definitely begins or starts a big piece building
0: of that. Building that physical the, space. Yeah. Right. What's that physical space like? Who are the people that are right there um, working alongside of you? How do you get the right team in place to help you execute it? Um, and then, I think uh, the other thing that, that we had to really think a lot about was like in our, in our industry, you know, beer is not necessarily known as a particularly like, we're not in like the most like highbrow moralistic kind of uh culture so i think for us um one of the things that we've done a lot and i've personally done a lot is really study is, is just continue to be a student of other businesses i mean part of what i feel like i've learned a ton about is um from being in private equity is seeing lots of other businesses and industries that have nothing to do with beer but there's so many things that we can apply uh, to our business, even if they're small and, and different and so I think that sometimes um whether you're in tech or finance or um or or p r all of those places can uh, and beers the same way, they can become an echo chamber right they where they we reinforce values that may we may or may not actually align with. We reinforce business practices that might be ineffective or might be like not not exactly how we the kinds of people we want to be and so for me a big part has been I just I'm a reader I pretty much read like I read a lot of leadership books I read a lot of stuff about other uh, I read you know Harvard Business Review Uh, I read the newspaper Um, and then I read theology and I you know and I stay connected with um, you know with my church and I'm you know thinking about issues of, of of like hey what who do I want to be as a child of God and like retaining that sense of identity and purpose and that's been really important for me to just not get caught in again the echo chamber of our particular industry which I think is a big risk for a lot of entrepreneurs there's just a, a playbook and you look at like I'm going to be like that company that sold for a billion dollars and grew super fast um, and you have to you have to sort of try to on the one hand be really deeply knowledgeable about your industry your space your consumer and at the same time realize there's real value in being a student of other, of other things. Um, right. and I think that's part of what I've learned even at, even at a place like Harvard where you know, there's just, it's a great place just to be a student, just be curious about the world.
1: Yeah. Excellent advice, man. Can I, I'm curious, like from the, the theologian perspective, who are you reading, who, or maybe who has been most helpful kind of in your entrepreneurial yeah. journey to just stay rooted in that?
0: Yeah. I would say the person who's been, uh, over the last like five or so years is, uh, is, is a guy named Jamie Smith. Um, hmm. James K.A. Smith. He's written, um, several books, uh, one that I'd really recommend is, is called Desiring the Kingdom. Um, and then there's another book that's similar to that called um, uh, You Are What You Love. And his whole premise is that we are not fundamentally creatures who um, decide, who make intellectual decisions about what we think is important and then act on them. We're fundamentally creatures of desire. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we act on the things that we have, that we love. And so a lot of what he talks about, how do we cultivate a love for God, a love for neighbor, a love of the good, um, because out of that is where, is what flows, um, you know, actions in a life that's pointed towards, uh, towards God's kingdom.
1: Yeah. Wow. So good. Dude, how do you like your vision for Monday night brewing and being planted in this city? I mean, I, we know your tagline, but like as a guy who really, I mean, I love that desires the kingdom, right. It desires the kingdom to come to Atlanta. What, I mean, what, what really motivates you to see what Monday Night Brewing could be? Or what is it already? I just, I don't know. I guess I would l- to love to dive a little bit deeper into to really what you're building there in that city with, with
0: Monday Night Brewing. Man, so uh, I, think, I think there's personally a big part of it of, of how I feel like Monday Night Brewing is, is, uh, is, is, a, is a piece of, I think it starts with realizing that there's only so much we can do, right? So it's a piece of what the kingdom looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but the, some of the little things that just get me excited and motivated, like I love walking into our tap room on a Sunday afternoon and um, in Southwest Atlanta, um, which is a historically black neighborhood that's undergoing a lot of change and um, some, some gentrification. And I love going in there and seeing families um, who live in the neighborhood who have brought their kids and are hanging out and talking to our staff we having a good time. Um, I love uh, I love coming in and hearing stories about a uh, a couple that had their first date at Monday night and they <laughs> um, and they're and they're getting and now they're getting married and want to have one of our beers at their wedding. <laughs> um, uh, we did. We I love hearing about. Um, the, I love when we're able to provide our space to make it available for our um, the neighborhood association that's adjacent to our our brewery for their Christmas party. Um, we did when we opened our, our Southwest Atlanta tap room uh, a couple of years ago. We did something called 100K in 100 days, and our goal was to use we have a private event space that we rent out to for weddings and corporate events and parties and stuff. And uh, our goal was to help nonprofits raise a hundred thousand um, dollars in our first hundred days of being open. And at the end of the day, we raised over $250,000 uh, or helped them raise that money. Um, for nonprofits primarily based in the neighborhoods that we were operating in. And so look, we're not, we can't save the world by brewing beer. Um, But what we do have is we have a space um, and Mm -hmm. we have a brand. And so the question becomes how do you find and partner with other people who are doing really good stuff and use what you have as a company or as an individual uh, to help them, help multiply the efforts that they're making and so I think a big part of that how do you make an impact is starting with a posture of humility and say I can only do so much but if I can find other people who need what I have and can supplement what I don't have um, and then then that's where I think that's the whole picture of the body of the even the body of Christ right the body is is recognizing what we are and what we aren't and then coordinating efforts uh, to, to to see uh, to see the, the spirit move in ways that we, that we never could expect if we were just acting as individuals or as individual companies.
1: I love that, man. I, you're Because it's asking the question, I want to see the kingdom bear on what I'm doing, but I know I can't do this all on my own.
0: Yeah, yeah. So often I think we have this idea that we're, as individual people or as individual companies, we have to come up with like a holistic way of like, I'm going to solve world hunger. I'm going to solve this big problem. And the, And the reality is like, no you're not yeah (laughs) but 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 you have to but also the answer is not then to just roll over and be like well i guess i'm just going to go back and put my head in the sand and um you know stroke a check to a charity um at the end you know every december like no we gotta we gotta be we gotta be seeking out other people and remain connected to people who are doing other great work because that's where sort of the blood begins to flow between the different parts of the body and where the spirit begins to move and where real change and, and redemption can happen
1: gosh i think that's so great man and i, I just hope it brings encouragement to people like if a brewery <laughs> right like if a brewery can 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 um yeah the, if if the kingdom can bear fruit from from a brewery i just wonder how many other industries out there how many other business owners if they just ask the question like how could the kingdom begin to bear fruit within my business or within my industry where do i need help who do i need to talk to right like what i mean honestly man just talking to you and i don't know if anybody else feels this like i'm just inspired to continue to build a business and like because i can just see you know how much you love it i mean it's giving you the opportunity to sit and drink a beer with me on a podcast show because you (laughs) you know you started a business but but more than that which i think is you know that's the kind of the flashy thing oh i have the freedom the autonomy as a business owner but more though like you're creating something man that is bringing joy to people's lives and changing a community and and then more importantly, like bearing fruit for the kingdom. Um, I don't know. I'm inspired, man. So I, I'm, I'm really grateful for, for what you guys are doing there.
0: Well, thanks. I'm glad, glad it's encouraging. You know, one other thought I just had was like, I'm sitting here kind of looking out over our office and, um, and I think the other thing that is, especially as you grow your business and you begin to have other people that are working for you is uh, it's just so rewarding to me to drive in and also just a, a um, you know, a, a It's it's humbling to drive into our parking lot and see, like, the cars from our we have about 50 employees um, now, full time employees on our staff, and another 40 or so uh, part time folks. And be to say, like, these are people that put food on the table who are able to care for their families and care for themselves because of the job that they have here. And Mm -hmm. I want them to love coming to work every day. I want them to be able to provide for their families, them to to have good health care. And so, I think that's another piece as we've gotten bigger that becomes a more important part of, like, if you want people who are going to be caring about other people that working for you and you got to care about them and you got to, you got to help and and, and encourage and strengthen uh, them and and give them a place to thrive. So that is something as we've grown, that's been a little bit of a difference as how, how much more important that has become. And it's hard. It's, it's, man, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to, uh, to learn how to do, especially when you're doing it for the first time as an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, because I mean, your your specialty has been the strategic growth side of things, right? And kind of building systems processes. To, I mean, because I've said this in passing, but as far as size of your brewery, where are you, where are y'all at as far as like ranking largest, smallest there? Yeah, in the region? so
0: we're we're one of those kind of, I'd say like five largest breweries in Georgia, okay. um, four or five kind of depending on the or craft breweries in Georgia, actually probably the top three, probably in the top three independent craft breweries in the state of Georgia um and uh you know nationally we're kind of in the top like one and a half to two percent in terms of our total size um, a lot of brewers are small um and just like lo- very local they may even not distribute so you know so we have about like i said we have about uh, 80 or 90 total employees about 50 full-time folks and then we're planning on opening a tap room in birmingham in in april so that'll grow our total staff to you know over 100
1: wow some some takeaways from your because y'all that happened after i imagine you kind of came in and you were able to really grow that what were the things that kind of uh, initially as you got in there kind of as the strategic guy that you pointed out to say hey this is what we need to start doing to really grow this to to grow our brand
0: yeah yeah i mean i think there's a number of things and and i (laughs) It, first, first thing I, the first thing I did was just be a student and try to just learn what I could because I, while I was still very involved with the business, it, I wasn't there day, day to day mm-hmm. um, and understanding our team and our people. Um, some of the first things we did, like, uh, first off was like, we need to, we need to have like more, uh, it's crazy. We needed more meetings. Um, we needed to communicate better. And so we had effectively functional department heads, but we weren't getting them together on a weekly basis and saying. Hey, we need a, our our leaders now need um, a regular touch point to be aligned and to build a culture from the top. That's more than just us as owners. So that was, that was certainly one thing. Um, Putting we started doing um, like an all hands meeting where we got all of our employees together. We do that on a quarterly basis, which is a lot more than most, I think companies do. Um, We started being a lot more transparent about, um, not that we were hiding anything, but we just didn't really communicate like what are our goals for the year how's our performance been how do we set specific uh, goals by team Um, so we we, and then how do we communicate those things back not just to hold people accountable but also to celebrate where we're doing things well Um, so that was a lot of it was just beginning to sort of systematize and structure more our communication to our team about these are the things we're working on this is why and this is how more closely connecting someone's individual job with the purpose and goals of the company as a whole. Um, cause I think it, it, especially if you're just like a guy who's kegging beer every day, um, it's pretty easy to be demotivated. It's not like a particularly, uh, compelling job, but if you feel like you're part of something bigger, um, and what you're doing is in service of a, a larger purpose and goal, then, um, then it becomes a lot easier to, to do that
1: so can you dive into that i'm curious like because i think there's a lot of people who have the kegger right in their business and it's maybe not be the kegger in their business but how do you get the kegger guy or girl um to to see to see their job is use that example because i think that's really interesting
0: yeah so i think those started with just those quarterly kind of communications where we communicate like here's our budget Um, here's how, here's, here's what, here's the, when we go through like a list of, here's our initiatives that we were and things we accomplished over the quarter and making sure that every time we're talking about that, that every person in the company can point to at least one thing that we talked about and say, I was a part of that. Um, so I think that, that was one, that's been one kind of important component, um, giving people feedback. Um, so we do biannual performance reviews. Um, so we do one, um, we do one in the middle of the year and then one at the end of the year, or sorry, not by uh, uh, twice a year uh, Mm -hmm, performance mm review. So giving people the chance to have feedback and dialogue about how they're doing. um, And also asking them the question of like, how do you want to grow? It's one of the reasons I think actually that growth for a business is so important to building a good culture, because people, especially folks that are entry level folks, or, um, or have jobs that maybe they're like using as a way to get to that next thing to give them some visibility like I'm a part of an organization that's growing and growing organizations you just there's just opportunity um you're always in need of people who have been around you know the systems who can who can grow with you um I think that's one of the things that that uh scares me the most when I think about the possibility of not growing is not necessarily that we couldn't get to a place that's comfortable financially or we could be like hey we got a nice little cash flow let's just sit on this um, I think that's when you start losing good people. And I think because a lot of those people at the, at the beginning, at the, at, the, at the early stages of their career or the, their place in the industry, they no longer see a path to like, well, what's the future look like for me here? The guy, my boss isn't going anywhere. Um, and there's no more, there's not going to be a need for more people over the long run. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I believe I'm a big believer in this. I mean, the whole premise of your podcast even is like, growing a business, um, is not just good for yourself, but it's also really, really good to provide opportunities for people on your teams to be part of something that's, uh, you know, of, of doing more of growing themselves.
2: Yeah.
1: That's excellent, man. Nah, that's really, really good. I mean, I, and you have to kind of be at the level where you're at right now to even be able to look back and see that. Like, I think yeah, that's yeah, a really yeah. powerful nugget. Mm, um, that's really great, dude. Uh, biggest struggle Man, as a kingdom capitalist, as a as a kingdom-minded guy, you know, in in the world of the the marketplace entrepreneur.
0: Man, um the big I think the the biggest challenge is just not <clears throat> syncing up my own identity with the success or failure of the business, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's so easy to point to um to point to your to, to you've got all these people who are um, who you hold up as like, Oh, I, I want to be, I want to be this, I want to be this great entrepreneur. I want to grow this business. want um, and, and we pour our lives into these companies and um, we care so much about them. And it's so tempting to view them as the, the Lord's ultimatum on who we are as a, as individual people. And so, um, that's why for me, like I have to stay meaningfully connected with people who don't work for me or with me. Um, and who, who don't really care if my business is successful or not, but just love me and or care about me because I'm me. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest thing. I actually got a, I got a tattoo on my first tattoo and I was 35. I was still at the private equity f- equity firm. Um, I got the, the, it is, it is finished in Aramaic mm-hmm. on my arm. And I kind of put it right below my elbow so I can like roll my sleeves up and I can see it if I was sitting at my desk. Um, cause I just, my heart needs that reminder yeah. of, of, uh, you know the Lord has purchased not just um, your life from from your sin and failures, but the Lord has also given to you his, the, the righteousness of Jesus. So that when you I when I stand before the Lord, He's not going to be like, "Hey, you built a pretty sweet brewery. That was awesome. Nice job." Um, he's going to say, "What I see is the perfect life of Jesus Christ." in you um based on nothing that i've done and um that is so hard to do not just as an entrepreneur but in on top of that in our culture that's so so performance driven and rewards you for those successes i mean i get so great like I, i'm i'm on a podcast that's easy to be like oh jeff's this great you know uh, entrepreneur leader guy even even in the midst of talking about these things there's this temptation our hearts can feel to think like man i i uh I've, I've earned some of this. I've, yeah. I've done a really good job. Um, and th- ultimately that just sets us up for anxiety and self-doubt and, and and lack of of faith, um, and peace that I think the Lord really wants to give to us.
1: Mm. Yeah. And I think it's when we lose that sense of freedom is when we also kind of lose our power as a, as a kingdom capitalist, right? Because what sets us apart in the marketplace, what sets us apart in a capitalistic society is, is that, you know, the identity that it be that separates us—that our identity is from the beginning, where everybody else needs an end, like an identity that comes from an outcome, yes, right? Yeah, and that when we right. have an identity that that's rooted in the beginning, Christ in the cross, we're really free, man, to serve yeah, yeah. and to take risk and to do different things. Where yeah. everybody else needs that outcome in order to be able to define yeah. it.
0: Yeah, it's paralyzing, or yeah. it's an, it's an, yeah, it's it really is. You're totally right. Mm um
1: well brother i i just said i really really enjoyed this time man if if our audience wants to one drink
0: your beer where do they go uh, check out our website mondaynightbrewing.com we've got two tap rooms in atlanta um and uh, we distribute our beer in georgia alabama and tennessee uh so we've got six thousand different places you can buy our beer across those three states
1: awesome and if they want to get a hold of you or any other thing you want to tell our audience please this is your chance man
0: no it's a, it's a privilege to be with you and I just uh, it's it's a, it's an honor to to get to talk about some of the things I'm most I'm most passionate about I love I love these conversations um, just a just a ton of fun and yeah. um, and and keep doing the great work that you're doing
1: Man, I appreciate you guys. Thanks so much for being here. If you enjoyed this episode, I would ask you, please take a screenshot, post it on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, wherever you are. I would love to hear your feedback and what you're learning from these shows. Uh, it really does go a long ways. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next week. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this show today. If you want to learn more about our community, you're going to want to visit us at kingdomcapitalist.co. There you can find info on our private mastermind. And even subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on new shows. And last but not least, land opportunities to get private trainings and coaching calls with the guests of this show. If you're enjoying this show, please take a minute to leave us a five-star review and also share this with a friend. We'll see you next time.